God, thank you for allowing us to come before you today. Thank you for the worship service that's going to take place after this, Lord. As we gather more knowledge on the book of Daniel and what you would teach us through the prophet Daniel, Lord, I pray that the result of everything we learn is a better understanding of the Christ and what work he has done on our behalf, that we might be all the more appreciative, that we might conform more in behavior to the image of holiness that is your son. And it is in that son's name we pray. Amen. All right. So, so far, I think I'm like 14 sermons into the book of Daniel, and I have to somehow condense uh, the book of Daniel, all my thoughts on the book of Daniel, down to a 45-minute Sunday school. So this is troublesome and challenging, to say the least. Uh, It's hard enough to keep a sermon at the appropriate length, as you all know a little too well. Um, and, uh, and that's our task today. As, uh, as we go to work our way through the book of Daniel, you'll start to get a handout for Sunday school. The reason they weren't handed out as you came in is because, uh, providentially the printer ran out of paper. Um, and so we only have like 20 copies or so. So it looks like we're actually with a member class. We might actually be at a good enough number that it'll work out, but I'd request initially like one to a couple, something like that. Um, and um, uh, we'll work our way through it. And if anyone does not have a Sunday school document and later would like one, please let me know. I can, I can send a link um, to the resource. Uh, it, it is going to be helpful for the back half of our uh, Sunday school discussion. So we're working our way through the Hebrew Bible. So we're going through um, the Hebrew Bible. And I think what would be helpful for our purposes. Uh, is to do a, a quick review on one of the review questions, which is, uh, what is that term referring to the Hebrew Bible? Um, what is the, a term that's been thrown out a few times before? anyone have an answer? Hebrew Bible. It's, it's, uh, oh, we got Kalen's hand. We got hands on the left, right? Man, we are very left heavy today. That is. The Tanakh. The Tanakh. That's right. So, uh, we have the, we have three parts to it. So the Torah, Nevaim, and Ketavim. So Torah, Nevi'im, Ketuvim, what do those three parts refer to? What is, what is the Old Testament, or uh, what is the Hebrew Bible uh, made up of, those three categories in English? Got a hand? I'm not sure, but is it the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings? That's right, Law, Prophets, and the Writings. Wonderful. Uh, okay, so the reason the reason I'm choosing to review this is, if you remember, the the order of the Hebrew Bible, the, the Hebrew Canon, is different than what we have in the, in the English Bible or what we're used to. So, if you're used to going uh, through 
uh, read the Bible through uh, in a year, and you go from Genesis all the way to Revelation. You're used to a certain flow and order. I can almost guarantee you have a Bible that is in the um, English order, but it's not really the English order. It is actually the Septuagint's organization of the Old Testament. But the way we're going through this overview of the Old Testament is we're going through it through the Hebrew canon. And so what's interesting is we have Daniel sitting in the middle of the other writings. He's not with the prophets. Any comments or thoughts as to why would Daniel be with the other writings and not with the prophets? All right. I guess I have to add value. I can't expect you all to do my Sunday school for me. Um, what was that? Oh, um, sure. Caleb had something really, really helpful. Um, uh, Caleb, would you be willing to turn to uh, <laughs> Matthew uh, 20, or excuse me, uh, Ezekiel 28.3? And then Tammy, after that, would you turn... Tammy, after that, would you turn to Daniel 1? And Rob Roy to Daniel 5. We're going to hit the row. <laughs> you are indeed wiser than Daniel. No secret is hidden from you. Just three. Um, yeah, just verse 3. So, yeah, Ezekiel, in, in reference here, it's, it's actually talking um, about, uh, I believe, the prince of Tyre at that point. So it's um, uh, talking about Satan. And yet, the way in which he's referred to is saying, you are wiser than Daniel, speaking to the wisdom of Daniel. And then, Tammy, if you'd be willing to read Daniel 1, 17 through verse 20. As for these four years, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. Thank you. So we have here, again, so we had Ezekiel talking about the wisdom of Daniel. We have here in verse 17, it refers to God giving them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel having an additional understanding beyond that in visions and dreams. And then, um, as Tammy read in verse 20, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And then, um, Rob Roy, if you'd read Daniel 5, 10 through 12. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. 
In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show you the interpretation. So here we have again recognition from a worldly person. We have the queen regent, um, so the mother of Belshazzar, um, the wife of, I'm spacing in the moment, uh, the name of her husband who is Belshazzar's father and co-ruler with Belshazzar um, while he's out building temples. She comes in and says, hey, you don't remember this, but there was a guy in Nebuchadnezzar's court he was pretty wise. He was pretty good at this stuff. And so he talk, she talks about his wisdom and knowledge and his ability to understand things. Um, she ca- calls it a wisdom of the gods. She doesn't know the appropriate person to ascribe this wisdom to, but there is a recognition from even the world of the wisdom of Daniel. Um, and then whoever uh, is... Uh, Stephen Alt, if you wouldn't mind uh, turning to Daniel 6 and read verses 1 through 3. Sorry, by the way, I was going to use the whiteboard, but the kids were using the whiteboard. And the idea of taking resources from kids uh, felt a little icky. Daniel 6, 1 through 3. 1 through 3. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom straps, satraps. Satraps, there we go. To be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So if you remember uh, from my last sermon, at the end of Daniel 5, we have, uh, we have King Darius coming in. We have the death of Belshazzar through the handwriting on the wall incident, um, and then uh, we have Darius coming in. Well, great, Daniel, who was in the royal court for Nebuchadnezzar, but clearly not in a same level of authority position or or proximity to the king with Belshazzar, uh, now is made in this inner sanctum, one of the highest rulers by Darius right off the bat, which is pretty noteworthy because I don't know about you, even now, if a new president comes in, it's not like they go, hey, you're pretty smart. I'm going to keep you on my cabinet. They clean house. They bring in their own people, and especially people who would be helpful in um, doing their regime change, their culture change, all of those aspects. And let alone a country, here we have Darius taking over. Um, We have Persia, media Persia, taking over Babylon and its vast empire, and to keep Babylon's slave in Daniel in his court is pretty substantial and pretty noteworthy um, that there is a recognition of the wisdom of Daniel. And then not only is he chosen to be an official, we then had read in um, verse 3 that this Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So obviously this is the doing and working of God, and yet there is a clear recognition of the wisdom of Daniel, of this knowledge of Daniel. 
And so my point in kind of going through all of this and highlighting, um, highlighting in even Ezekiel, another prophet, um, who's dealing uh, in the time of exile of Nebuchadnezzar, acknowledging the wisdom of Daniel. Um, and then we actually have words from Jeremiah, and then later we're going to look at some New Testament references as well. But the reason Daniel is likely included in the wisdom or in the other writings portion of the Hebrew Bible is because he would be considered by a lot of the um, Hebrew scholars of the day to be a wisdom literature writer. So not necessarily the same style as Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and um, uh, Job, and yet there are similarities and phrases that we've even already looked at that match to Proverbs uh, in particular. And so there's a lot going on um, that would seem to point to the Jews hold Daniel in high regard, particularly for the wisdom with which God gave him, uh, probably only second to, um, to Solomon, uh, obviously in terms of, of, of world rule, and yet I would say the holiness of Daniel seems to exceed Solomon, so in that aspect of understanding of wisdom. So that's why we have a little bit different location for Daniel um, when you now get into the the current uh, or the Septuagint organization of the Hebrew Bible. We have Daniel following Ezekiel, which makes sense. The proximity of Ezekiel, Daniel, Jeremiah. There are three prophets dealing with this time of exile. We have Jeremiah talking about the exile to come and his experience into that exile. Um, we have Daniel, who is kind of the man in the middle dealing with the whole duration of the exile. And then we have um, Ezekiel who's in it, but also has some post and talking about, in particular, his material. A lot of it is post-exilic. So we have uh, a, lot, a lot of prophets kind of confirming or involved in this time, and yet Daniel is the wise one. He is the one with wisdom. And what's great is, as far as the date goes, again, just like we had with um, a, a few other of these books, we have specific details that are revealed because of historical events that are documented. So we have um, the Battle of Carchemish in 605 BC, which allows Babylon, in defeating Egypt, to take over their vassal, that was Judah, and Jerusalem specifically. And so that's how it begins. So we know uh, in this, uh, in Daniel 1, 1, where it says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, um, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And we know that this was in the first year of Nebuchadnezzar. And so you, between Babylonian writings and artifacts, uh, we know that it's in 605 BC that this took place. And then um, at the um, uh, end of chapter one, we see kind of the close of Daniel's life, where it says in 21, and Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. So we see uh, Daniel 1 is that overview where we have this description of how he went from being a, a good-looking, healthy youth in uh, being taken as a slave by Nebuchadnezzar all the way till the end where he was there for the first year of King Cyrus. And in, um, uh, then we have in between an example of his faithfulness and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah's faithfulness as well. So you kind of get that, that whole o overview and this prologue uh, that we'll look at further in a moment. Daniel then um, ends in 538 uh, BC. So if you're doing the math, right, that's just under 70 years. But the prophet Jeremiah, 
said that it was going to be 70 years of exile for, um, uh, for the Jews uh, as a result of their unfaithfulness and their unfaithfulness to God, that he was going to allow Ezekiel, or excuse me, uh, Jeremiah said that God was going to allow Babylon to come in and conquer and do the will of God. And so that's what we have as kind of just this over, overarching structure. Well, what I want to look at before going into like the breakdown and structure of Daniel, um, what I want to look at real quick is some connections to the New Testament and where we have some quotes or referencing um, and where we have connections um, to Daniel throughout uh, the Bible. So not just the New Testament, throughout the Bible. Uh, if um, Nick, okay, thank you, Megan or Stephen for volunteering, Megan. <laughs> I see that look there. Uh, Megan, will you turn to Ezekiel chapter 14? And we're going to see uh, now, we've talked about the wisdom. We're going to hear uh, how Ezekiel references his knowledge of Daniel um, again, but this time puts him in the company of uh, a wise man, but also of, of righteous men. Um, Ezekiel 14, read verses 12 through 14, and then verses 19 through 20. So 12 through 14, and then jump down to 19 and 20. And the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, when a land sins against me by acting faithlessly, and I stretch out my hand against it and break its supply of bread and send famine upon it and cut off from it man and beast. Even if these men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they would deliver, but their own lives by their own righteousness declares the Lord God. Down to 19. And then down 19 and 20, yep. Or if I send a pestilence to the, into the land and pour out my wrath upon it with blood to cut off it, from it man and beast, even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, declares the Lord God, they would deliver neither neither son nor daughter. They would deliver but their own lives by their own right by their righteousness. So again, Ezekiel is, is intimately aware of or is deeply aware of Daniel um, and Daniel's impact. And uh, it's, it would be hard to be especially in Babylon and not know of Daniel and what he's doing because of the exulting that Nebuchadnezzar had done. Although um, hollow, Nebuchadnezzar had exalted Daniel and Daniel's God um, through these different acts of interpretation, of dreams, of wisdom, of ruling. Um, and then you have Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah set up as prefects and rulers in the city of Babylon. Um, and, but ne uh, Daniel in particular being above all of them in the royal court of Nebuchadnezzar. Um, then uh, whoever has the microphone next, if you wouldn't mind um, jumping down, we're going to start... <clears throat> uh, we're going to start looking at the various references in the New Testament now of where we have reference to Daniel and some treatment of both the writings as well as the narrative of Daniel. So uh, whoever has the microphone, please turn to Hebrews 11. So we've got Hebrews 11, Hall of Faith. And um, Daniel is not explicitly mentioned. It's not said by faith, Daniel, X, Y, Z. This is in this almost like summary portion of Daniel, or excuse me, of Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11, 32 through 34, where it talks about a list of various things that were done by faith. Um, but you can see clearly that Daniel is being referred to in the midst of this. Um, so whoever has the mic, please read Daniel, or Hebrews 11, 32 through 34. And what more shall I say? 
For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the spirit of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. So I would say at least two of those directly. Um, first, referring, uh, stopping the mouths of lions or closing the mouth of lions, right? Daniel in the lion's den. And then quenching the fire, um, I would say as well, has some clear connections to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah being in the fiery furnace. Um, and when the second person comes in to the fiery furnace and uh, stays the effects of the flames. Um, and then when it continues on to, or even in there talking about enforcing justice, um, obtaining promises, um, conquering kingdoms, I would say all of these are descriptors that could apply to Daniel and his time um, here in, uh, in Babylon. And then whoever has the microphone, what we're going to do is... Uh, we're going to jump, we're going to read a portion from Daniel and then hear how it's referenced or referred to in the New Testament. So whoever has the microphone, please turn to Daniel chapter 3, verse 6. And the next reader, um, would you please turn to Matthew 13? Daniel 3, 6. Oh. And whoever does not fall down and worship him shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And then um, Matthew 13, 42, and 50, please. Thank you, Nick, for <laughs> organizing my chaos. 42 and 42. Uh, Matthew 13, 42, and verse 50. Yeah, sorry, a couple of jumps here. And throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I'm sorry, what was the last one? And then 42 and 50. Okay. And throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yeah, so here we have two times where Jesus is talking about a fiery furnace. Furnace would be known imagery, but we see uh, regularly this imagery of fiery furnace being a reference to eternal judgment and tormenting um, of the body, which is why Nebuchadnezzar was unable to do this. A false god was not able to put in holy judgment on Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah because of a mediator and interceder in the second person. Um, and uh, so we have wonderful connections there. And then Daniel six seventeen. Uh, please read that. And then whoever's next would have Matthew 27. But start with Daniel six seventeen. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that can, nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. All right. And then we have uh, Matthew twenty-seven sixty-six, continuing this idea of the sealing. I'm sorry. Matthew, Matthew 27, okay. and then 66 is the last verse of Matthew 27. 2066? 27, 27, verse 66. Sorry. Nope, you're good. 
You're good. Takes two of us to figure it out over here. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. Last, uh, last verse before chapter 28. 66. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. I think we're, you might have read something else. Chapter 27, verse 66. There we go. Okay. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. And then again in chapter 12 of Daniel, we, we won't flip there right now, but in chapter 12 of Daniel, we have this sealing again, this setting of protection against something precious, which um, has direct connections to Jesus and the work of the Lamb in Revelation, but also in Daniel 12, um, we have the same connection of the sealing of the scroll um, that is referenced by um, the, or told by the angel to Daniel. Um, and then uh, what will be the most clear connections, we're going to read it here in Daniel 7, and then we're going to read it uh, a few verses that refer to this. So whoever has the microphone, Daniel 7.13, and then if this gets too much, I can also uh, read myself as well. Daniel 7.13, and then uh, whoever reads next, if you want to go to Matthew 24. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples and nations and languages should serve him. Wonderful. Thank you. So, clouds of heaven, one like the son of man. This is referring to the messianic figure, the messianic person to come, um, who we know to be Jesus, and then Matthew 24, uh, verse 30. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Thank you. And then we'll, we'll read one more uh, reference in regards to this. Uh, Ma, um, excuse me, Mark thirteen twenty six, And then um, we're going to continue on to our handout here. Mark 13, verse 26. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. So then um, we... We see this reference to coming on the clouds, uh, the Son of Man. This is a, a great segue into what will be the focus for the rest of our time, which is what's the point of Daniel? What's the purpose of Daniel uh, beyond telling us some narratives that people tend to remember and then perhaps scratch their head a bit at the visions in the, in the second half? But here we have enough New Testament references back to both. We have in Hebrews, uh, we have... A re references back to the faithfulness of Daniel, so the faithfulness and righteousness of Daniel and his salvation because of that faith. 
referring to the narrative aspects, but then we also have this coming like the Son of Man. And for those who have ever had to try to talk to someone about, uh, about Jesus, the divinity of Jesus, at some point, when you study or talk to someone else about it, you inevitably come to Jesus calling himself the Son of Man on a regular basis and talking about this very thing. And in fact, it's the, it is the phrase that the Sadducees, Pharisees, and um, uh, Herodians end up condemning Jesus for because they're saying, whoa, he's calling himself God. He is calling himself God because he is saying he is the Son of Man who will come down um, with the clouds of heaven. And so this is a big, a big statement And I would argue the whole point of Daniel, or the main focus, I should say, there's so much value to be mined, unlimited value uh, that we will never be able to get to the ends of the depths of in our life. And yet, Daniel 7, the second person, the messianic figure, is the main focus of Daniel. And the reason this is, uh, this saying Jesus is the main point is, is probably the easiest thing a preacher could do about a book, but... What's interesting about it is that it's not just happenstance and it's not just because we know of who Jesus is that we could say this is the main point. I would argue just as Ezekiel knew who Daniel was, uh, in the same way all the other readers of what Daniel has to write and say should know that the messianic figure, the messianic, the second person, the one to come, is the main focus. Maybe not the second person. They may not understand that fully yet. Um, uh, It is veiled in some ways, but they would know that Daniel chapter 7 is the main focus. So if uh, you have the handout, you'll see uh, there's what we have is a chiastic structure. And I don't want to get too nerdy, but I do. Uh, But I will. So um, for those who aren't familiar with chiasms, think of it as a parallel. And you have this like 1, 2, 3, 3, 2, 1, where it's this mirroring and the center, the focus is in the center. It's drawing attention to the center as the main point. But then in the subsequent, in that symmetry, we have parallels between the other aspects. And so, um, thank you, Jamie, for handing that out. Um, when you look at this, you'll, you'll notice it might look like there's a lot going on. But I would say start with the letter at the beginning of each of those lines. So we have a prologue, and then we have A, B, C, and then we have C, we call it prime with that, um, that apostrophe up there, C prime. So that's mirroring C. And then we have B prime. Then we have A prime. Then we have it go back up again, a new one, D, E, D prime. So, um, uh, and then I, um, uh, let's see here, up at the prologue. So we have these, these structures, and it's a little unique uh, for Daniel in particular, because Daniel is highlighting something in the middle, and yet we have what seems to be two chiasms covering the whole book. I've, this is, is, to me, very essential in understanding Daniel and in understanding its focus, because many other approaches to Daniel and an attempt to make one chiasm out of the whole book will end up actually drawing your focus to other things other than the coming of Jesus. So if we want to look at this structure, we have Aramaic, uh, second half of the book, and we have a Hebrew, first half of the book. Daniel 1 through uh, chapter 2, verse 4 is in Hebrew. Or excuse me, I flipped uh, Aramaic and Hebrew there. Daniel 1 
2 through 4, is in Hebrew. And then from verse, chapter 2, verse 5, all the way through the end of chapter 6 is in Aramaic. And then we switch to Hebrew for the rest of the book through chapter, um, or excuse me, chapter 8 through 12. So seven, or chapter 7 is still in Aramaic. The, the significance of this, though, the significance of these two languages is questioned frequently. Um, those who are, are attacking the authenticity of Daniel would say things like, um, this seems random and put together. This seems maybe the Aramaic portions are written by Babylonians, not by Daniel. And yet Daniel is writing to an audience that currently is in exile and would know Aramaic. But beyond that, there's this highlighting of the center. So if we're going to take something away from this structure, you see that box around where it says A prime. So that's chapter 7. What we have is in this structure, the one place where there's overlap between these two chiasms is chapter 7. So where we have these, these two kind of arcing structures, we have an overlap in chapter 7. Where chapter, uh, chapter 1, we have a Hebrew prologue to an Aramaic book 1 of Daniel. And then in chapter 7, we have an Aramaic introduction uh, or prologue into a Hebrew, or, uh, Hebrew part 2 of Daniel. And this overlap focuses on these earthly kingdoms and the triumph of God's kingdom, in particular, this coming of the Son of Man. Um, let's look at this structure and mirroring. Uh, whoever has the microphone, or if you're willing to grab someone with a microphone, um, you know what, I'm... I'm trying to jam too much into this, but I'm going to, I'll actually read um, just to keep us flowing. I'm going to read a couple of these just to show you what I mean. So I know this is getting into some of the, the nerdier aspects of this stuff. And yet, look, if you want to turn there, I'm going to look first if you see um, where it says chapter two, and it's A, where it says four earthly kingdoms. We're going to look at its parallel to chapter seven, where it, again, you have A prime, where they're matching. And in chapter two, verse 44, of Daniel, it says, and in the days of those kings, the gods of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Then we have again, uh, we have in Daniel 7, so what is supposed to have this mirroring, um, or what I'm arguing is, it says, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, and all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So you see that, that mirroring of this eternal kingdom language. And then in chapter 3, verse 8, it, it says, Therefore, at that certain time, Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. In, um, in Aramaic, it actually says the phrase, They came forth and chewed Daniel to pieces or chewed the Jews to pieces, uh, which is a Aramaic turn of phrase evidently for maliciously accusing. Um, and we see that same chewing to pieces, malicious accusing, in chapter 6, 24, where again, it's mirrored. Um, and the king commanded that those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. And then we have in, um, we've already seen it in sermons, uh, previous sermon. We'll hear it some more in the next uh, sermon on Daniel. But we have in chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar and his humiliation being turned into a wild beast. And then in chapter 5, 
the other one, C prime, what's supposed to be mirroring it, we have a recounting of that exact event back to Belshazzar to say this is the same sin your father conducted. The reason this is noteworthy, and, and um, I have more verses for eight, but I'm going to hope at this point you're trusting me because um, uh, I'm running out of time here. But the reason it's significant to look at these mirrored structures and this interlocking is not because you need to know it to understand the contents of Daniel or the purpose of Jesus in this or the significance of it. And yet, there's an understanding and deeper beauty and appreciation of how skilled a writer Daniel is and how God's inspiration of Daniel. And remember, in Daniel 1, we're told in verse 17, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Daniel's writing in this is unique. And I would say it's because of this additional blessing from God. Where some might have challenges with why are there multiple languages going on, turns a phrase in Aramaic or Akkadian, other things going on. It is Daniel working very hard for his Jewish audience to understand the whole point is chapter 7. So let's take a quick look at chapter 7. Made a big deal of it. We're going to talk about why it's a big deal. And I'm going to read um, verse 13 and 14. I read verse 14 a moment ago, but I'll read 13 and 14 again. And think about what this sounds like. So, um, again, I've preached sermons through this, but for those who are visiting or or maybe don't remember those sermons, since they're probably a little over a year back now, um, hear verse 13 and 14, and think of who this is talking about. I saw in the night visions of behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancients of days, and he was present and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So we have in this court scene, we have an ancient of days who the Son of Man is coming to. So we have Ancient of Days, who is God the Father. Then we have the Son of Man, who is Jesus, coming before God the Father on the clouds. And for the work of the Son of Man, he has been given a kingdom. Peoples, nations, languages, an everlasting kingdom. And then I will real quick read Acts chapter 2 here. Uh, Excuse me, chapter 1. Um, So if you remember, after the gospel accounts, we have the apostles, Jesus appears to them, and um, we have the ascension now. And it says in verse 6 of Acts 1, so when they had come together, they asked the Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Again, they're asking for an earthly kingdom. And yet, it says, he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness, my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. So we have them looking up at Jesus ascending on a cloud. And I would say that our Daniel 7, 13, and 14, again, the, the focus is Daniel 7, the highlight 
of Daniel 7, 13 and 14, we have, Behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and he was presented before, and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And so what we have is we have Christ coming and uh, coming before the Father, being given his na- the nations, the nations that every knee will uh, bow and every tongue will confess. We have this reiteration of the tongues and languages and the people. And so it connects us to the Revelation, to Genesis. Here we have Daniel in between prophesying about the coming of Jesus. And so in all the narrative, the things we, our children remember, the things they make veggie tale movies about, right? All the stories, those things are wonderful. And yet, it's all driving and building up to the peak, which is in Daniel 7. As far as a little more structure around Daniel 7, um, all the visions that are in 7 through 12, they take place before the events in chapter 5. So in chapter 5, where I'm preaching right now, where we have Belshazzar. Although the visions are in chronological order and the narrative is in chronological order, you could actually take the visions and squeeze them between chapters 4 and chapter 5. Um, And then within this, we have, on the second half, we have all of these visions. We have references to angels and these things that Daniel uniquely knows. And yet, what I want to leave us with is in these visions, this highlighting of this um, great person uh, of the second coming, this person who's going to be presented uh, to the Ancient of Days, um, in chapter 12, Turn there, if you would, with me. You'll see uh, what it has here for us. Let's see. Where? I want to make sure I'm reading. Uh, okay, and I'm going to start with one, two, and then I'm going to jump down. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Every one whose name shall be written, found written in the book. Um, and then um, in, if you jump down to verse 9. So he continues on. He's talking, and he's talk, spoken about this book. Everyone whose name is written there. And then it says in verse 9, go, the angel talking to Daniel, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. So these words are sealed and shut up. And in Revelation, we're told in chapter 5, where John, I'll just um, tell the story of it, but you can see in chapter 5 where John is crying because there is a scroll, there is this book, which should be the salvation of God's people, but it's sealed. It's a sealed scroll, it's a sealed book, and he doesn't know who can open it, who's worthy to open it. And the angels come before John and they say, there is one who is worthy. It is the lamb and his blood that was shed. And he is the one who is worthy. And they sing a hymn of the worthiness of God, of Jesus. And so what, what I'm hoping you see here is that the, Daniel is, connects to what is talked about in Revelation and has been promised since Genesis 3.15. And so the whole point of Daniel being in here 
is just as the rest of Scripture. It is the promise of the Messiah, and it is a call for perseverance to the saints and God's authority over all of the world, that he is bringing about his will. And so if you were to take away something from Daniel, I would say it should be chapter 7 and seeing Christ in the book and in the chapter. But then beyond that is that God is working out salvation according to his will through the means he chooses. Ultimately, and then ultimately we see it fulfilled. We have the blessing of seeing all the dots connected uh, in Acts and Revelation. Um, Okay, I have pushed us through time. I have cut stuff here. You can tell I uh, have a deep passion for this book, and um, there's so much more to say and preach on. Um, But I pray you are blessed by this, and that if you have any further questions on things maybe we didn't cover or anything you want to know deeper on, we can discuss it. Otherwise, I'd say stay tuned for the next, like, seven years as I finish preaching through the book of Daniel. Uh, Please pray with me. Oh, God, thank you for your words of truth. Thank you for blessing men like Daniel with wisdom and understanding, skill with words, uh, skill which uh, I could only dream of, of being able to communicate with, and yet we know your scripture is clear. It is understandable. You don't necessarily need these deep interlocking chiasms and aspects, and yet you put them there. You allow us to see the beauty of your scripture and to highlight your son and the work he's done. I pray, Lord, that as we prepare for worship, that we will reflect on this and that we will think about the one who was presented before the Ancient of Days, the one to whom has had victory. And so we should have great hope and great perseverance, knowing that you are working out your plan of salvation through the world, even when the world seems in chaos, even when there's chaos outside our doors, When we come into worship, we come into worship a God who is sovereign, who has protected his worship, who has allowed his people to worship, and who has secured that worship. Lord, let us worship you rightly this day. Let our hearts be before you. Make them clean. Cleanse us of our sins and allow us to worship you in spirit and truth. In your son's name we pray.